Docaloza and Dogalettes. It's your docu-dotty Bob Sham here with another exciting episode of The Documenteers. And in this episode, we unveil a new documenteer. There's going to be two new documenteers. One new documenteer, Ginger, she's going to come along. And while all our themes are a little loose, I think we're going to go with a rock doc angle with her episodes. And the other new documenteer, Akil, is on this episode as he helps me parse through the glory that is the the Laura Brownson Netflix original documentary, The Rachel Divide. And it's about Rachel Dolezal. Yes, that Rachel Dolezal. The movie's kind of hot right now. And this episode is super fresh for you. Which leads us into our first episode of a brand new segment that I call Bobby's Boners. In Bobby's Boners, we talk about the things that I said wrong or stupid shit I did or stupid shit I said. And in this episode, I was so excited to get a kill into the Shamco Studios and record for the Rachel Divide that I completely forgot to put in the correct mic USB input. Audio does get captured, and you can hear what's going on, and I'll fedangle with it and post at it, but it is not worthy of Akil's first episode, if I'm being honest. But you can hear it, and I think you can still feel what we're feeling. Please give us five stars and a, and a review on iTunes. The review can say anything. Be funny. Make me laugh. And to everyone who has given us five stars and a review, thank you so much. And if you have not done so yet, we'd really appreciate it. It costs you nothing, because the documenteers is free. Always be free. That I can promise you. You can also follow us on social networks at Documenteers on Instagram and Twitter. Angela has set us up a Facebook page, so you can like that and say hello to Angela. You can email us at documenteerspodcast at gmail.com for say anything. Uh, we love recommendations. And to everyone who's reached out to us and has shown us some love, you're the greatest. We love you forever. Maybe we'll put you in our will. Maybe. So without further ado, let's get into this movie. This documentary, The Rachel Divide by Laura Brownson. Streamable on Netflix. Keep on docking. Now, here is a motion picture film. A thousand feet. 16,000 separate photographs. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. Are you African-American? I don't, I don't understand the question of, I... Are your parents, I'm are not, they white? I, I, re, I re. You want some old talkies? Some what? Old talkies? No, I'm good. They can't be more than a, a year old. I thought you meant like like old. The talkies, the silent movies that go. <laughs> <laughs> the Axis powers roll across Europe. <laughs> I would love that shit, actually. I didn't know for sure that this documentary was coming, but I've been waiting for the Rachel Dolezal documentary. And I met one person who had not heard of Rachel Dolezal. And I was like, what? I kind of forgot. I hadn't really forgotten about her, but it, I just... She hadn't really crossed my mind until, and I actually watched that documentary, forgetting that that was the documentary you asked me to watch. Yeah. Like, you sent me that text, and then a few days later, I come home, I'm on the couch, turn on Netflix, I'm like, oh, that's that, is that that chick that was pretending to be black? And then I watched it, 
And then, like, the next day I looked at my phone, I was like, oh, shit, I'm ahead of the game. That's the one that he wanted to do, to do the podcast about. You nailed it, man. And you watched this two more times. Yeah. Because I mean, how can you not? It's there's so like, much going on. You love all those emotional ups and downs. I and I felt different about it every time. Each viewing had a different really? feeling. Yeah. I kept going back and forth. And I think, and this is, it's an honor for you to be here. It is. Because you are our newest documenteer. We are having to expand it because four people plus me. It's really not enough to really get the full breadth. And we're in a box right yeah, now. Yeah, we're, we're in the Shamka <laughs> Studios, which is very elegant curtains. It feels like I should be getting a hand job right now. And I want to thank you for making sure that it's not two white people talking about this fucking movie. Well, I wasn't actually going to say anything about that, but since you brought it up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and preface it right now. Yes, I am black, so... I guess that'll allow people to decide how they feel about what I have to say, because that's going to be based on what they think I am. But don't some of, the, some of the shit if I say if I was a white guy, I think people would be like, okay. But as a black guy, they might get a little pissed off, hmm. and vice versa. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I mean, I could be wrong about that. Oh, this is interesting. It'll be get some hot takes. <laughs> but don't worry, white people. This podcast is half white today. Yes. So don't be scared <laughs> that we're getting cut. <laughs> I'm still waiting for that email, that you you fucking cuck email. We've had plenty of episodes that would make people call us cucks. Really? It's just a matter of time. Well, I mean, this means you made it. Yeah. You start getting trolled. Oh, I want to get called cucked so bad. I was going to say, that I want to get cucked. not you hear very often. <laughs> <laughs> Please call me a cuck. Please. It's always been my dream. I'm not asking to be cucked. <laughs> Yeah, to be clear. I, I just know. want to be called. I don't want to watch you paint my wife <laughs> while I cry in the corner grasping my small penis. <laughs> Why is your dick in a little cage? Why? Let's stay on book. Let's stay on book. We are talking about the film. It's a Netflix original film about Rachel Dolezal called The Rachel Divide by Laura Brownson. I looked her up because I want to see what race she was. Yeah. Well, yeah, of course. And she's white. Because that's important. She's an older white woman. She's probably done a lot of things, and we're too lazy to do the research. You know, I actually assumed that she was a sister. So I don't know why I did, but I guess looking about, looking in context now that I think about it, it yeah, I guess the tone of the documentary kind of makes sense. When the David Bowie cover starts playing towards the end, you're yeah. like, oh, <laughs> I think this lady might be white. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> it was an appropriate song, though. <laughs> But yeah, you know Rachel Dolezal, former president of the Spokane NAACP, very active in um, a lot of movements. She's kind of one of the first people in the Black Lives Matter, which I didn't realize that she was kind of there at the beginning. And I guess she represented Spokane and Washington State, a very white state. So it turns out, them. so was Rachel Dolezal. <laughs> we have a lot of fun. I mean, are we really surprised if you really think about it that way? Yeah. <laughs> I guess not. I don't know. Of course she's white and Spokane. <clears throat> right. We uh, hear a poor audio of an interview of Rachel, and she says, I know who I am. My kids know who I am. No one else really knows. Did I say your name yet? <laughs> no, that was the first time. Your name is Shaquille. <laughs> yes. 
I'm Akil. Akil, the newest documenteer. Akil, we got a lot of things in common, actually. We've been friends for a while. You're good friends with my wife. Uh, and I'm a total cuck. <laughs> <laughs> Just sit there and watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we like uh, comics and nerd shit and stuff like that. We We know a lot about comics. So I think in future episodes, we'll probably be dealing more... With that kind of shit, yeah, that yeah. kind of fun shit, the stuff that probably we can probably go on longer about than what we're talking about oh, today. Without a doubt. And we see an opening montage of Rachel at various events. We see her at Ferguson. We see her at uh, protests involving the death of Trayvon Martin. We see her present in Black Lives Matter movements of many unarmed black men who were gunned down by police. And then we see a news anchor walk up to her and ask her if she's black. And she walks off. Suddenly, the transracial dam cracks open, and she's stepping down from the NAACP. She taught African-American study courses, booted from that. Apparently, at some point, she claimed a black man was her father, but it was like a mentor. But she said, this is my dad. And people were like, your dad's white. And uh, yeah, what the fuck? Yeah, What's going on? It's all kinds of messed up. It's also just sad. Like, it's... This is a sad movie. It's a really, really sad documentary. Yeah. Like, I mean, and I'm sure we'll get to it later, but specifically the kids, the youngest son, yeah. that poor guy, just, I felt for that kid. That was the one consistent feeling I had through all three viewings was how horribly I felt for what that kid was having to deal with. And it seems like she's a good mom, but I hope he's getting plenty of hugs from other people that can yeah. help him out. Because <laughs> she is a good mom, I think so. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, she definitely, I mean, I don't, I honestly don't think she's a bad person. I didn't come out of watching the documentary thinking poorly of her i was just confused by her yeah and i understood things a little more mm-hmm. but at the same time i was just kind of like but you could you could fix this whole thing like why hold on to this yeah you know it's just why hold on that is a sentence that's not the first time we're gonna <laughs> say that sentence because she this woman will double the fuck oh, down hell yeah we see a rolling shot of her house we see her ironing her braids and we meet her son, and he has to go. Oh, they're going to pick up her other son, Isaiah, I think from the airport. Right. And she asks Franklin, Franklin wants to go in and meet her brother as far as he can get into the airport. And she asks if she wants me to go in there with them. And he's like, no. Nah, yeah. No. Nah. Now, Franklin is, looks like he's he's at that awkward stage. He's probably like 13. Yeah. Well, yeah. He's yeah. about to get out of it. He's about to be like, yeah. Full-on, full-blown teenage hormone. He's definitely at that age where, even if his mother wasn't a white woman pretending to be black, he still might not want his mommy to come into the airport. Oh, he doesn't want her to hug him in public. Like, anytime they're on camera together, he's just sort of recoiling. But that's just a normal, that's just what you do when you're at that age. That's normal. Yeah. It's just compounded by the fact that that his mom, Rachel, told us all. (laughs) Franklin, I'm sure you're listening. Our heart goes out to you, buddy. Franklin, if you need a buddy. If you need an older mentor to talk to, I can suggest some people. Yeah. <laughs> Don't talk to me. me. Talk to someone else. I ain't a hero, frankly. <laughs> I'm just living my life, man. I got drama, too. Uh, Isaiah, he's been looking for schools, been looking at some historically black colleges. I think Howard. Yeah, he wanted to go to Howard. Let me clarify something, because I wasn't quite clear about this when I watched the documentary. He is her son as well as her brother, correct? Am I uh, wrong about that? No, no. Isaiah? She, she also... Unless we got shit confused. I feel like she adopted him. I thought she also had a brother named Isaiah. Are they not one and the same? I don't 
Because they were significantly younger than her. I don't her think siblings. so. I don't think so. But you got me doubting. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think I, well, fuck, I don't know. <laughs> when I re, I watched it again today. Yeah. And because I was, that was the piece. I was like, I'm not sure what the relationship is with this guy. Because like she talks about her brother, Isaiah. Then his kid's name is Isaiah. But then she talks about adopting because of all the crap with her parents, her biological parents. Yeah. That she adopts Isaiah. Because if you look at the pictures of her with all of her siblings, all the adopted kids are significantly younger than her. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, there, there, there's many years We meet between, Esther yeah. kind of the most in that context. Right, yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I think she may have actually adopted her brother. Maybe. To but get him see, out of the house. It seems like her parents would have to sign off on that. And that uh, yeah, seems, yeah. seems kind of odd that they would allow that. But she's also, she mentions that she just turned 37. She's not old enough. Yeah, she's, I, I can't, she's, I mean, she, I guess she's she is lying. biologically, but I don't see her having a son who is going into college because she didn't get married. And I don't know. There's a lot of, there's a lot of holes in her story as far as. Well, her story, even before this, the part of that, <laughs> the reason this documentary right. is being made about yeah. her is kind of hectic. Yeah. But Isaiah is like a son to her. I thought I had a grip on it. Now you got me thinking. I'm confused. I'm, I mean, I'm sorry to like make your <laughs> fuck up your whole world. You fucked my shit up, man. Kill your confidence. But Franklin's talking about how the criticism that they have of his mother. And he's both exhausted with his mother, but also it's his mom. So he's defending her. And he's talking about how, I know, if she just says that she's white, everything will be fine. We also find out that she's pregnant. This movie takes place at least in the span of a year. Because she doesn't really look that pregnant when we first meet her. And then she looks really pregnant. Three-fourths of the way through the movie, she's she's had this baby. Right, yeah. We meet Esther, which is her sister, who was adopted by her parents. And I, I guess as soon as Esther could get the fuck out of buttfuck Montana, hey, Rachel, please, please, let's get out of here. Yeah. Franklin... He goes into a barber shop with Isaiah. Uh, that's a rough scene. Another scenario where she's like, you want me to go in? And he's like, no. An owner walks out into the parking lot. Obviously, the owner recognizes her. She says, get the fuck out from in front of my store. And that's just because it's Rachel Dolezal. Right. And she's just on the street. I mean, she's not even on his property. She's just parked she in might front have... of the barbershop. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure what the parking scenario is. But yeah, she he, was, he was like, "You just, I don't, I don't care where you park. Yeah. I'll get the hell out of here. I was like, damn. Yeah. Like, <laughs> your kid's fine. You can't come in. And I don't even, there's there's an element where I sometimes feel like she is a little clueless as to what her son is going through because she keeps asking him things like, do you want me to come in with you? You have to know he yeah. doesn't want you to go into a, a black barbershop after all the shit that's going down with you. I mean, it's, it's just going to make it a miserable experience for him. I don't know. She's just going through the motions of motherhood. Like if a if a, a punching bag could talk, it would say, punch me. <laughs> Franklin says that uh, she, he said all she said is that she's black and people lost their mind. He talks about how he can hear her crying at night and that also keeps him up. He points out that her position, this claim that she's making, is affecting absolutely everything. And that's not the first time he will say that. No. He will emphasize that in this movie. We meet this dude named Jeff Humphrey, an investigative reporter, and I guess it's in Spokane. And he says that he started investigating Rachel, not because he had some hot tip that she was a white woman. He said it had something to do with a piece of hate mail that was sent to the NAACP. And apparently Rachel had claimed, and there's still some debate on the, the truth of this or not, was that nooses were thrown into their yard. 
And the police determined that the hate mail was an inside job. And apparently, and this is according to Jeff Humphrey, but it will be believed and validated by other types of people as well, that it didn't go through a specific postal process. And where it was received, only two people had access to that P.O. box. And one of them was Rachel Dolezal. Who was the other person? I don't know. That's See, that's what I'm saying, man. I call bullshit. Oh, yeah? Who's this other person? I think there's something more going on here. Uh, it just seems odd to me. I'm joking about it, but it seem, it does seem odd to me that they said that there were only two people. We're not going to worry about <laughs> who the other person was. <laughs> but we meet a Katara Johnson. I think she is now the figurehead of the Spokane NAACP and worked with Rachel throughout the years. And she apparently believes the police in regards to, she says, nobody has luck this bad. And, but she talks about how you have to hold your leaders accountable. And she said that the lie is worse than saying you're black. I mean, it's the thing is it sucks because there's no way you can't prove it one way or another. I mean, it's what if she did actually get the hate mail? I don't, does that even change anything? As far as this story is concerned, I don't think it makes at that point, I feel like the fact that she had lied about being black, I mean, that was the ultimate credibility killer. Yes. Everything else is just icing on the cake yeah. at that point. And really, I was thinking about this when I was watching the movie because I question the fact whether it was real. But the fact that she is a proven liar, that can make her a target. Right. Because no one will fucking believe Rachel Dolezal, the, the white woman pretending she's black. So if you did want to like throw a bunch of that kind of shit at her, like you could totally get away with it. Well, she mentions in the documentary how they, they've been, they've had prowlers, mm-hmm. someone broke into their house. There's that scene with the banana that someone leaves on the windshield. Her windshield. Which seems strange to me. That she Instagrammed. Well, I mean, why would you leave a banana? Is that meant to be an insult? Because it's only an insult if she's actually black, which she's not. <laughs> so is she saying they're doing that to her sons? I, I Maybe. I, I don't I, know. I, but I, I don't know. I got some measures of doubt here. Yeah. I don't have evidence. Although I do feel like it's a little harder to get away with things when you've got a documentary crew following you around. Rachel's like, oh, look, look what someone did. There is no documentary shot of, uh, well, she picks something up in her yard. That's like someone's gun. Someone's conceal and carry. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, well, you can trace that person, right? That's that had someone's like name and picture. Right. Well, she mentions, I don't know what I should do. Should, should I mail it back to them? Which I think is an odd Thing to consider <laughs> this, this is essentially this is not a subtle threat to your actual life rachel's <laughs> used to odd things to consider she also seems she's really pretty optimistic we also meet a, a latoya bracket but latoya talks about how she saw when she first met rachel she was like this looks like a white woman dressed like a black woman and i understand that because there's a bit that chris rock did years ago and one of his biggest I can't remember which stand up it was but he talks about how there is not one white person who would trade places with a black person and he said you wouldn't even trade places with me and I'm rich like I'm gonna ride this white thing out for a while that's kind of the gist of the bit sure so it's understandable it would never really enter it wouldn't enter ever never enter my mind that a white person would consciously pretend to be a black person because you get none, nothing out of it. It's like yeah. you are, you're already, you're at your top of the food chain. So to try to, why would you want to pretend to be something that's going to cut off opportunity and put you in the line of fire and yeah. make your life way more difficult than it has to be? So of course, I mean, you would look at her and think, I get that. Like, oh, okay, she's, she looks like a, a white lady that's got a 
black person wig on, but nah, why yeah. would someone do that? In Spokane, <laughs> of all places. Yeah. One of the whitest places <laughs> in the United States. Sandra Williams, she's a journalist. When the Rachel Dolezal stuff occurs, she puts some context into the history of Spokane in terms of uh, race relations. And a lot of people may or may not know that the Pacific Northwestern region, there's not only a lot of white people, but there's a lot of gun-toting white oh, nationalists yeah. encamped up there. Possibly even more so than in the South where we are. But there's just not a lot of black people. It's like, uh, they're fine. There's yeah. not really a lot of people they can pick on yeah. out there. So just let them do their thing. I hear Portland has a skinhead problem. And I've never been to Portland. Portland people holler at me. Documenteerspodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> you want to set my uh, stereotype straight? But I hear white skinheads are raging in your streets right now. <laughs> Sandra points out that Spokane has had KKK rallies. There was a fairly famous bomb threat in the Martin Luther King parade. And she's calling out the environment of Spokane. So I guess the idea is that if she did fake the letters, this was her way to try to call attention to this sort of dark underbelly of yeah. Spokane that had just been neglected for so long. She clarifies as well as one other man. I think it was, I didn't catch his name. I think maybe he was an investigator. And he was like, I have seen letters, genuine letters, like the ones that she... Yeah, and they showed photographs yeah. of those. And they looked like they were written by the same person. Yeah. But the difference is his actual, has an actual postage stamp on yes. it because it could be dropped in the mail. Yeah. So it doesn't really prove anything. Washington just mail it from somewhere else. That seems like that would be an easy thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> Rachel's, yeah, learn how to mail yourself hate mail, Rachel, for fuck's sake. Put it in the system. <laughs> Her friend Shoban, Shoban, I made her sound like a Greek yogurt. It's Shoban. Is it Siobhan? Siobhan. I think it's Siobhan. It's like Irish. And she says, if everybody hates you anyway, just be yourself. Yeah. Oh, she has one of the best lines in the whole documentary. When she asks her, she, she says, I just feel like this, this is just a phase we're going through, like a family that's having a disagreement. <laughs> and this is Rachel, by the way. And, you know, just with some time, time will pass and... We'll get to a point where everyone can kind of forgive and just move on. I don't know. Do you think that, what can I do to make that happen? And she just looks at her and goes, I don't know, move to Mars. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's a friend right there. And that's a precursor to the David Bowie song, Life on Mars, which we would yeah. hear later. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. That's deep, man. And Franklin, <laughs> Franklin gets her a world's greatest mom mug. Bill, he gives her a world's greatest parent oh, trophy right. but it says world's greatest parents oh it said parents Plural? so i don't know what that's all about maybe it's like look you had to be my mom and my dad or maybe it was just this is all they had yeah. <laughs> rachel has crossed this threshold of fame there's no going back from that threshold you see it all the time with these i don't know if you'd call her like a c-list celebrity at this point i mean she is by the standards of shitty celebrities i know she's definitely in these camps right Talk to mom Maybe a little classier talk to mom. <laughs> Nadia Suleiman. What happened to her? She goes on this show called The Real. I've never heard of this show. It's a it's a third tier knockoff of The View. Okay. Basically. I didn't recognize anybody except I know that's a Maori. Right. Is that T or Tamara? One of sister, sister girls. One's got a mole, the but I can't remember which one. The greatest TGIF show. Sister, sister. Hmm. That's something worth people emailing about. <laughs> Just trying Is to, it? I'm just trying to piss off step by step fans. <laughs> audience members are like, "Are you ashamed of being white?" Black women in the audience are like, "It must be nice because I can't take this off." Right. 
you can't beat that point. I mean, I honestly, I felt I was cringing watching that whole yeah. thing. I mean, and that was an edited version. I can't imagine. At some point, I want to go on YouTube and find the full clip of that interview. Yeah. Because there was a lot of attacking going on. I mean, it's mm -hmm. in the grand scheme of things, if you really take a step back and think about this, who gives a fuck? Really? I mean, it's it's. By the end of this movie, I was like, there's a bigger picture here. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But she acknowledges to this crowd that she was biologically born of white parents, but identifies as black. And, and that's the, like this moment where they're all applaud. Yeah, and they applaud. They seem to accept. Thank you for being honest with us. You're coming from a place of truth. So it seems like everyone's friendly. And then one of the ladies, I don't know her name. I only know the Maori, says. Well, one asked her. She said, we hear that you're pregnant. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. And then there's always like a big black sassy lady on these shows. Sure. You know, the, the Star Jones or whatever template. And she says, I guess the baby's going to be black, huh? I think and she, she expected a high five. Or yeah, something. she kind of like elbows her and then throws her head back. And the look on her oh. face is just. Rachel did oh, not like not that feeling shit. that at all. Franklin not happy. No. He was talking about how he wanted to run onto the stage. Well, it keeps. like She does. There's multiple interviews that happen over the course of this documentary where they show her on the Today Show and the Real and whatever other shit that she does. And every time I'm just blown away by how blind she is to the fact that you are going to get ambushed every single time. Yeah. She keeps thinking that well, they said they're going to be nice. And even her son, Franklin. Well, I don't think that they will. I mean, it will be great. if they, And can I just say he has the best just dry Oh yeah, voice. totally. <laughs> He'd be a great documenter. <laughs> you should try to get him on. I should. I'm gonna email yeah, him. I'll, I'll hunt him down. I'm sure he would love to. Have to listen to this. <laughs> Don't. There's one episode he shouldn't listen to. You'll know which one when you see it. But the fact that her 13, 14 year old son understands how this game is going to play out every single time and she just seems to see that it just blows my mind she's into her celebrity this is what i mean she crossed that threshold and now that's where her obsession is that's how she's making money right probably getting some child support help and stuff like that but she goes on shows yeah. and hopes that they're just going to ask her i guess for hair care tips but they're not oh while we're on the subject of hair okay <laughs> man there's a lot of fucking hair in this movie <laughs> i mean just on her head yes the variety of braids and wigs and weaves and i mean she's got the sister hair now yeah i mean she does hair and she said that she i think she said she didn't lose any hair clients after the whole big debacle sure so i mean because i know from experience when a, when a black woman finds somebody who knows how to do their hair I mean, there's really not much of anything that person can do right. that prevents her from going back to her <laughs> continual because it's just one of those things that's hard to find. Sure. You want to hold on to it. I mean, we'll get into it in a little bit, but Rachel's got skills. Oh, God, yeah. And it was, there is an aspect of her that I actually found very impressive. Same here. I think at this point in the movie, we get to this kind of um, montage that represents the identity politics and the evolution of it within the last few years. And and I wrote in my notes, it's a trans, 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 trans world. A lot of that. We see a myriad of criticisms regarding the transracial thing. And at the time, I guess, people were like making Caitlyn Jenner, Rachel Dolezal comparisons. And they made sure LeVar Burton weighed in. 
And he's like, no, those are not the same that thing. Was, that was, I think, the best unexpected cameo in this documentary. <laughs> Let's ask Jordy. Fuck, reading Rainbow, man. <laughs> what does he got to say about it? That must be the one of the most pain in the ass things of being a black celebrity is having to answer every question about race. Anytime something happens. Anything that's in yeah. the news that has something to do with race. Hey, uh, I wonder what LeVar Burton thinks of this. It's like, why can't he just be? That's what every news outlet is thinking. <laughs> Who's our go-to guy for it's... all things race-related? Well, you know, they they probably didn't single out LeVar Burton. They heard there was a black celebrity over here, and he was just the unlucky one, you know. It could have been um, Chris Tucker. God, I'm glad it was. LeVar... <laughs> what, Chris... what does Chris Tucker have to say about this whole Rachel Dole? I don't even know where Chris Tucker is. Does Chris Tucker know where Chris Is he still Tucker? alive? I think he's alive, yeah. I don't know, for some reason I thought he had died. But someone says this, and it kind of summed up this, it kind of like put the nail in the coffin, this whole like transgender, transracial thing. She says, her blackness is her performance. Her transness is her identity. Right. I mean, I am not the expert on any kind of trans anything. Uh, no say itself short, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the guy that has to, I'm the guy that says uh, wrong things at a cocktail party. And then on the car ride over, my wife is like, look, you shouldn't have said this. <laughs> And then I know you I know you mean well, but you said this. We just need to skip some things. <laughs> See, I, I take that's the biggest point of contention I have with the documentary. And the big thing I have the biggest problem with is the comparison to transgender because it makes sense. And I can't believe I'm even saying this and agreeing with the guy who hosts that shitty TMZ show. There's a point where he's in the documentary, he's talking to on TMZ talking to some black guy somewhere on Skype or whatever about the whole, basically he lays it out is you can't have it both ways. It can't be okay for Caitlyn Jenner. You think of her, she identifies as a woman, even though she was biologically born as a man, but with Rachel Dolezal, she's not authentic. So you can, I mean, and he, and he's kind of right. You can't really have it both ways, which is what makes the whole thing weird and yeah. a little unsettling because it really makes you, for me, it makes me take a hard look at, okay, well, what does it mean to be black? Really, what does it mean? Because it's easy to say until Miss Dolezal came along, you just, hey, you yeah. who can't see in, in podcast and I'm pointing in my skin right now. Some of the differences being is that, you know, it's not that everyone's upset that Rachel is so-called acting black or is into black culture it's that she's claiming that she is right and she's not letting it go and she's I mean she's rather anomalous in this and she's apparently she's all about reading fucking comment threads rachel bad idea stop reading the fucking comments she went straight after the interview and <laughs> immediately she's on her phone like no rachel no don't do that that's like internet 101 when you're a famous person Especially when you're a white woman claiming she's black. You don't read the goddamn comments. I think this was going to go. We support you, Rachel. But she reads an article that says that she might be ahead of her time. And some of her critics acknowledge that maybe there will be a time where this isn't a big deal. But there are just some things that we kind of need to. We got to deal with a lot of other shit before we can even get to that point. There's some conversations that need to be discussed. Yeah. And I think even pointing out the transgender thing is a fair discussion. The biggest difference is that there's one Rachel Dolezal, and there's a lot of transgender people. <laughs> right, yeah. We go a little bit into Rachel's history with her biological white parents 
and apparently they were extremely religious. Uh, I don't, I can't remember what they said specifically, but it reminded me of like Christian science, science where let's not go to the doctor. Prayer will help you deliver this baby. Apparently they have a birth certificate that lists Jesus Christ as the midwife of Rachel's birth. He cometh down and he pulleth out the vagina. Ripped her out, according to her mother. <laughs> and didn't color her right, according to Rachel. <laughs> so Jesus did a horrible job. <laughs> really think about really, it. Come on, Jesus. <laughs> you had one job. But this family also adopted four black children. And according to um, Esther and some of the other kids, they were essentially raised as white. They're in Montana. If you could pick a place that's whiter than Spokane, we'll say Montana. And um, and apparently this was such a big deal. Another brother, Ezra, says that just them having black adopted children would get them in the paper. Yeah, that was kind of telling. Like, that immediately let me know the kind of place that they lived. Did y'all hear? They got four Negroes. They adopted four <laughs> Negro kids. They're so good. They They're just such... stop. They're helping them. They're such good people. They're showing them a better life. <laughs> they saved them from abortion. People from Montana talk like this. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we're from the South. We can put that accent on. Really if we were from know. Brooklyn, our dumb, vo- our dumb guy voice would be like, "Hey, forget about it. <laughs> oh, you adopted those black kids, eh? I work at this place. I won't name the place, but it has a, a variety of people in it, and it also features a common patronage of homeschool parents looking for stuff for their kids. That makes sense. Now, not all homeschool parents are like this. We made a promise to our audience at the Documenteers that we will compartmentalize our audience and piss off very specific people. (laughs) But you do see, like, very well-to-do evangelical white parents, and they have, like, adopted black children. And you know it's like they think that the grace of God is just all they need to bring this black child up and all their, they'll love these murder she wrotes that mom likes. But they really just want to watch a different world. This kid's going to grow up in an environment that that does not treat them. It's so the world is going to treat that black child like a black child. Yeah. And they're going to be ill prepared for that when they finally get out in the real world. And these parents are just pretending like that's not going to yeah. happen. And, and, and I mean, it's, and I really, I appreciate, I mean, I appreciate the fact that people, want to do this yeah. like it's anytime you can anytime a kid is no longer being shuffled around from foster home to foster home for the most part that's always that's a good thing but if you adopt if you're white and you adopt a kid of color you need black people in your life yes exactly and you're gonna need you, you need to read some books you need you're gonna need like oh this kid's he's got an uncle over here yeah this is grandma right, right. here and you got to have you have to expose them to these cultures because the world is not going to treat them like you treat. And I'm oversimplifying homeschool kids that are uh, homeschooling evangelical parents. Well, it's not just homeschooling. I mean, yeah. it's just white parents adopting yeah. children of color in general. These are mistakes that liberal white parents can make. Yes. Yeah. I think people have gotten better about that. I feel like the gen- next generation of people that have come after those crazy evangelical people who adopt these kids recognize that they need to make a concerted effort to have positive black role models in these kids' lives. Make sure they learn about their history, um, just all the stuff. Try to do as much as they can because, I mean, as white parents, there's only so much they can do. Yeah. But at least make that effort. Maybe the same old uh, Treasure Island lesson ain't going to cut it. You know, you got to expand it a little bit. 
But Rachel said that she, when she was at a certain age, she was reading a lot of Black-centric books. I felt like she connected strongly to the siblings. As far as the stereotypes I just laid out for uh, <laughs> white parents <laughs> adopting outside of their race, the par- these parents are, are like the worst case oh, absolutely. scenario of what I'm truly talking about. Rachel Dolezal's parents is really who I'm shitting on here. Oh. And I don't mean to put down anyone who wants to adopt any child. Don't start backpedaling. Oh, God, I'm going to get in so much trouble. <laughs> Documenteerspodcast at gmail.com. Request a kill. <laughs> What's your email, a kill? What's your personal email? But the parents were abusive. They were old world religious folks. And Esther was talking about how she would get whipped with a, what was it, a baboon? A baboon? What the hell is it? A baboon stick or whip or something? I'd never heard of it before. I don't know. Apparently, they were in South Africa at yeah. some point on land of racial harmony, and <laughs> that was the one thing they did to try to give the kids some insight. Is <laughs> they got a fucking <laughs> South Africa. <laughs> you know, when you're off on a mission trip, you need some white safe zones behind barbed wire fences. <laughs> But Esther was showing fucking scars yeah, that was pretty on cool. her body. And there were scars on Isaiah's back, who I think is her brother. Again, we're not too her, sure. Her brother's son. She could have named her son after her brother. That's what I was thinking, but... I, that's what I want that to be. I, <laughs> there are scars on Isaiah's back. If only Rachel was saying that, it would be easy to question it. But her siblings, her adopted siblings are like, no, nah, that's fucking for real. And it kind of gets worse. We'll get into that a little later. But we see artwork. Rachel is a fucking fantastic artist. Amazing artist. That I did not expect that. And I, I mean, that actually made me. I want to say I, I didn't never. I never hated her. No, yeah. <laughs> but it made me. It humanized her a little bit more for me. It made her less of a character. It showed something that she legitimately has to offer to the world that she's not outright talking about. And she's always defending her blackness, I guess. The truth is, she's an amazing fucking artist. She's freehanding. Yeah. Like, I like to draw. I'm a little cartoonist. I'm a little cartoonist. And I was jealous watching her just move through styles and textures like it was fucking nothing. I mean, she used, what, puzzle pieces and eggshells and... Yeah. Yeah, she's, I mean, she's definitely talented. And you're right, I I didn't even, I don't think probably anyone knew until this documentary, which... I'm thinking, you've got this amazing gift. Why don't you try to do something with that instead of banging your head up against the wall over and over again, trying to get, I mean, just move on past that. When you go on the reel, just start drawing. And they'll be like, whoa, girl, did you just do that? (laughs) Smile like Bob Ross. Yeah. Just do her hair in a Bob Ross. I know she can do it. You know she can make her hair in a Bob Ross. Happy little dashikis, man. The story of her life with her parents is transitioning throughout. They're talking about their history, and we're going back and forth with her adopted siblings. At first, when we see her work, we see just paintings. And then we start seeing her work on them as they're talking about this. It's kind of an interesting transition. We're getting some context to her background. And we're also being introduced to this new side of her that no one's really talking about. You know, I thought it was actually kind of interesting the way the director did that. But we go back to Esther talking about how Rachel got her out of there when she was just old enough to leave. Discussing her adopted parents, she said, they didn't seem like parents to me. They were just the people. Thank goodness Rachel, her sister, helped her get out of that situation. 
And you got to figure it makes it even easier to look at these people and think these aren't my parents when they look nothing like you. Yeah. I mean, you got to you got to go that extra mile if you want to be considered a parent mm-hmm. if you're of a completely different race and they miss that by a mile. To backtrack a little bit, you talked about Rachel being younger and, you know, reading black literature and sort of identifying so one of the things I was never clear about in the documentary, because she talked about how she had these feelings growing up that, that started from her mother telling her that her, how horrible her birth was compared to her brother, right? how she never felt like, she felt like she was basically a mistake and felt like an outcast and didn't really fit in. And they really loved the, her brother. Right. Yeah. Like he can do no wrong. Her so biological, like, biological brother, Josh. First of, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so then years later, they start adopting these black kids and she identifies with them, connects with them. And in her mind, it seems like she translates, she funnels all of that rejection that she felt from her family into these new kids that are in her life, who are also, even though they were adopted, are still being rejected, in a sense, by these parents. Mm-hmm. And so that's where, for me, I started to think, there's a difference between transracial Yep. whatever that means and yeah. transgender because any transgender person will tell you they have always known yeah from the moment they were able to have a conscious thought of self-awareness that they were of the opposite gender but for her she just sort of used i feel like she used the black race and identity to escape and to feed all those feelings of rejection and isolation into yeah so i mean i don't know if that makes no it sense. makes perfect sense and i think that is the most pointed difference between those two things for sure. Because a transgender person, yeah, you're right. Regardless of what their history is, that's just what is inside of them. They could have had a great life or a terrible life. That's just who they are. But yeah, Rachel's story seems to, this point, hinges who she is and how she copes. Seems to hinge on the fact that her parents were abusive and shitty. And that apparently her brother, Josh, Esther, presses charges against Josh claiming that he sexually abused her. And Rachel said, yeah, he did that to me too. Esther has taken Josh to court for alleging sexual abuse. And she was pretty young. Yeah. That happened too. She's still very young. Yeah. Like you could tell. I feel like she's maybe 18. I mean, at the time of the documentary, it seemed like she was maybe just getting out of high school or... She can't be older than 25. Yeah. It seemed oh, like... Oh, God, no. Yeah, like... But she's the youngest, right? Maybe Ezra, the brother is. He seemed maybe the youngest. I don't think he is. Hmm. He's a he's an interesting character. Yeah, I couldn't get a feel on him. No. It's like is this guy on the fence is is he taking a side? They didn't really. Like, well, he seems st- to be supporting Josh and his and his parents mm-hmm. about the whole molestation charges, which I find interesting. I believe Esther. You can understand why people would doubt Rachel. Esther, I have no reason to doubt Esther. Esther is verifying this. And yeah. Isaiah is verifying abuse. This seems like some fucked up shit. It's definitely happening here. I'm sure you noticed that Ezra, out of all the kids, is definitely the lightest. To the point where I actually did not realize that he was an adopted son the first time I watched the documentary. And I wonder if, because of that, he was treated differently. than Because that's not an uncommon thing. Even within black families, it's not uncommon, particularly with a certain generation, for a more fair-skinned, light-skinned kid to be treated differently than their darker sibling. And it happens all the time. I kind of wonder if he just didn't get it. He was on the receiving end of the same kind of brutality that the rest of his siblings were. That's a good point, for sure. I don't know. We should ask him. We should. Do you have his number? Yeah, yeah, I got it. I got all his contacts. 
1-800- If I had his guy. number right now, I would call oh, him on mic. You know I would. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> sorry to wake you up, Ezra. <laughs> we got some questions. <laughs> we say this like it's an option. But the thing that really exposed Rachel and what kind of started the ball rolling of her being exposed as someone, a white woman living as a black woman, was when she testified for Esther against Josh and also made her own testimonial claim that Josh molested her as well. A journalist named Sean Vestal, he was talking about how he contacted a PI that was digging into Rachel. He said that the PI seemed, according to him, very set against her, like a very vested interest to kind of rip her apart. The PI, I think, reached out to him. Yeah, to get like some information or something like that. I, I No, I think that he actually wanted... He wanted to this story to, and that and that's the whole, the nutshell of the whole thing is he wanted the parents, or I guess Josh hired the PI, and the PI wanted to get this story out into yes. the world. At least that's their claim to discredit her. And the parents are do a TV tour. Oh well, we love her, and we're just looking out for her integrity. We're worried about her. And God, whatever you feel about Rachel don't make you sympathetic towards her <laughs> parents at all. If anything, they provide context to that bigger picture that we're getting to that we think is truly yeah. the problem here. We've already hinted at it. We'll bring it all around. We'll wrap a bow on it. Before this documentary came out, all I knew was what everybody else knew. Here's a lady pretending to be black all these years lying about it. Then her biological parents are making the circuit, making the run from new show to new show. At that point, you have no reason to doubt anything that they're saying. Because, of course, while I wouldn't concern parents, you already think this chick's batshit crazy at this point anyway. Right. And so her parents going on saying they love her and they, they're worried about her well-being, her, her mental state, all that seemed perfectly natural. And now it's in more context and you start to look at them a lot differently. I think the worst part about like, especially dealing with the parents coming out and when they were dealing with the transracial conversation and trying to compare it to the transgender thing is that these are conversations that need to be discussed, but it's done through the filter of fucking TMZ. Yeah. And it's like, and I don't mean this in a Donald Trump way because there we go. He hates the, he hates the truth. (laughs) And I'm like, I hate your filter media. There's just, they contribute to some bullshit. And then when society advances and then thus they mimics the advancements of society, they kind of pretend like they were never a a part of that problem. Yeah. Trump's a good example. (laughs) Like, uh, you, you kind of made this, (laughs) you are responsible. Yeah. You, you, you guys just, it's just fucking nonstop. Trump, 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 Trump. And now he's president. And now you're acting like, how did this happen? Right. This is where it's us against Trump. No, I mean, you're, you're, you love him. I've said it before. Do not watch 24 hour news networks. No, it's horrible. Do not read your news, do anything. No news is perfect. But if you just cut out 24 hour news networks in your life, you'll be a little further ahead of the pack. Than, That's one of the advantages than of your, having cable. Than your uncle at Thanksgiving or something. Because you know what channel he watches. <laughs> Rachel talks about her husband that she married uh, for five years. There was pictures of him getting married to her, and her parents were at this wedding. But she said it was unhappy. He was an old-fashioned guy, said, said that he didn't like her going to Howard, which she sued Howard to go to Howard, apparently. She claimed that he treated her like a trophy white wife. And that he wanted a submissive woman and that she had to pick being a wife or being a mother. Her words. And apparently he sometimes manipulates the custody situation, according to Rachel. 
we don't hear from her husband. And I mean, I'm sure that's probably by his choice. I would imagine. Yeah. I mean, why would he want to? Yeah. Be involved in any of that stuff if he can avoid it. Rachel has her baby. So I don't, I, I didn't really understand. They they made that seem 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 so dramatic. Yeah. But Malcolm, because she was acting like whatever she identified herself as was going to affect the child. Just, just look at the fucking child. The, yeah. Right. The, the child is obviously biracial. So problem solved. I I, I never that, that scene kind of annoyed me. They they would try to make drama out of drama that wasn't really there. Well, it's Rachel drama, so fair enough. Pretty good at it, but yeah, you're right. I mean, even if it uh, as a biracial child, American society is going to treat that child oh, like it's you're black. black. Yeah, and so it it's going to be stuck with that no matter what you fill in on that, that. That has been a point of contention with me and my mom for years because I believe that, which it seems strange considering what we're talking about, but I believe that each individual should be allowed to determine if you're biracial what you're going to identify Mm -hmm. how you're going to identify yourself my mom thinks that it's all it all depends on how society views you which is a fucked up way to look at things i think the flaw of your mother's is that i mean she's she's assuming where society's going to go with it she's probably not wrong but a lot of that it is going to start coming into play later in life and you kind of got to make that decision right then right i mean do you i guess just because the world sees you if i mean because i always felt like if you're a biracial kid then to say identify yourself as black is it's like you're ignoring the other half of your heritage your identity and it's the same thing vice versa now granted you know i this (laughs) this sounds horrible before it even comes out of my mouth i already know this sounds really bad documenteers podcast (laughs) but in the grand scheme of things i feel like it's it's worse for a biracial kid to swing white and ignore that reads way worse to me than the other way around. Not that it, it seems that way based on how the world's going to shit on that person. <laughs> right, yeah, you're not really saying like I personally disagree with this. The world's going to take a shit. How's this world going to take a shit on this human? Right. Yeah, I don't think I've ever known any biracial person that is like I'm white. I feel like I have. Huh. It was back then time I was drinking a lot, so I'm not really sure how. The real hazy, and it's harder to get away with. I mean, if you're there's even a little bit of black in you, like there's a really good chance that that's going to show up all over you in some shape or form. So it's it's easier to say I'm black because again, like you said, that's how the world is going to view you anyway. So just drop yourself into that box. You know my friend William. I've I've been friends with him forever. He's got a black father and a white mother. He's talked about being in circles. I think this happened a lot more when we were in college, where people treated him like he was white and literally was like calling him a white person. And he was like, no, I'm not. I'm not white. I'm black. And he's got like dreads down to his ass and not white people dreads where it looks like you've rubbed cum in your hair. I don't. (laughs) Well, I'm I'm not even criticizing in a co-opting culture way. White dreads just look bad. I'm just telling white people right now. Unless you got some thick ass hair, exactly. Maybe like Greek people or Jewish people Jewish can get people, away with it. Jewish people can rock some dress like a motherfucker. But the rest of you white people, you look like you rub fucking cum in your hair, dude. <laughs> you look like you're holding your goddamn hair together with cum, and it don't look good. It looks horrible. You don't look good. I know you got that fucking Bob Marley poster <laughs> up on your college dorm, like everybody ain't heard legends eight thousand fucking times. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta slow down. Bring <laughs> it in, Bobby. Bring it in. They don't mean no harm. They don't mean no harm. <laughs> Rachel names her child 
Langston Atticus. Uh, I guess Dolezal is the last name. But that name, that's, that's just layering on the blackness. It's like it's not enough that she is professing to be black. She's got to she's got to take it up a notch. <laughs> I'm telling you, she's a hundred. She is all in, dude. She's a hundred fifty percent. I kind of a part of me really respects her dedication. If I could just put this much dedication into other things in my life, I'd really be getting some shit done. I would really. I mean, Langston, Atticus. I mean. Man, okay. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. I saw that birth certificate and I was just thinking, it's like, here we go. <laughs> the cycle keeps going. <laughs> Baby's daddy is in the Air Force. Uh, the relationship didn't last. She wanted a like separate co-parenting. And apparently, according to her, this dude was like, nah, I'm good. Do you think you can get an abortion? And she's like, I don't feel like that's a good option for me. Is this the same guy who is the father of Franklin? No, different, different man. man. So Langston Atticus Dolezal has a completely different father. Okay. I could be wrong. Maybe the kid's not biracial. He looks kind of dark to me, but I mean, I'm sure she could have put some makeup on him. I mean. <laughs> but you put it. Is she just tanning a lot or is she like putting on? Uh, there, well, she, I mean, there's a lot of scenes of her putting on. Yeah. Like bronzer kind of stuff. Um, so I don't, I'm not sure. I, I mean, actually, I think she's pretty attractive. Yeah. She's not bad looking she's at all. She's a good looking lady. She puts on some dresses where it's like, Rachel. I know. Yeah. yeah. You know who I thought was really fine since we're on the subject of of women we thought were hot? There was a lot of beautiful women in this movie. Mm-hmm. Esther, a very beautiful woman. Yeah. But, God, uh, hold on. What is her name? Is it the lady from the NAACP? Yes. Yeah. Katara Johnson. Yeah. And she looked good. Yeah. When she came out, she was just strikingly beautiful. And I've already had this discussion with my wife, folks. Very comfortable relationship. Here. And there's also a lady who who makes one of the most, to me, incisive comments about her. And I think it was at the the thing with the professor. Yeah. The guy that identified as a white woman. Yeah. Ronnie Gladden. Yeah. We'll yeah. go ahead and get to that. Yeah. We'll go yeah, ahead and get to that part. That's an interesting cat. Ron, Ronnie Gladden, uh, Rachel goes to speak at a college. This professor is moderating this. His name is Ronnie Gladden, where he said, Black and male is how I'm coded on right. the outside. But on the inside, I have felt more white and female, believe it or not. The crowd's like, what? <laughs> those, I mean, I would literally have some of those faces put on T-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Rachel gets a lot of questions, not not requests for hair care tips. She, they're asking about uh, the hands just like, shoot it's up. Like, it's like they're just holding them up there. Like this is what I mean when <laughs> I'm shocked people stay in their seats. I'm surprised they were just like like rocking back oh, and forth. No. I got to anxious about this. <laughs> but what was uh, what was one of the questions that you thought was particularly incisive? It wasn't a question. It was just a, a statement. Uh, and the only reason I bring it up is because we were talking about attractive women in the documentary. I thought this woman was attractive as well. She's got the short hair shortcut and she talks about how she has earned the right to call herself to identify as a black woman and because of the struggles that she has dealt with on a day-to-day basis throughout her life all the baggage and shit and that comes along not just baggage but awesome stuff too that comes along with being a black woman in this country Mm -hmm. and so she made the comment that did she feel that she had earned that same right and I was, when she asked that question, I'm like, don't say it, Rachel. Don't say it. Don't do it. And of course she did. Here she yes. goes. Um, explain what that initiation process would be. Yeah. Oh, and you could hear the, the groan. 
They're like, oh, hell no, she didn't. I mean, uh, discrimination in stores, discrimination in school, discrimination among black people and how they feel about one color versus another, job discrimination, racial profiling, being pulled over by the police. That is my experience. Self-hatred towards your hair, eyes, skin, nose, lip size, butt size, body shape. Not being the picture of beauty in American society. That was kind of the, the gist of the response. She goes on talk shows, she goes in front of <laughs> students, and they're all like, here's some chum. And Rachel's like, I'm going to eat this fucking chum. Mm. She's like the easiest shark. Yeah. Mm, eating the fuck out some chum. <laughs> Gets the hook every time. <laughs> yep. Every time. <laughs> she never learns. And Ronnie, the professor, is like, well, um, I feel like she's sincere, but apparently we still have a lot of questions. Yeah, those questions are not going to go away. I, I would really enjoy them spending more time at that yeah, yeah. Q&A thing. I would have liked to see. Can we get a Ron, Professor Ronnie documentary? I kind of want to know this story. Hey, could you expand on that being a white woman thing? <laughs> I mean, that's... That's loaded. I mean, it's one thing to, you know, be, I mean, he's transgender and transracial. Wow. He's racial squared. Well, he said he felt like it sometimes. He didn't necessarily say he was in that moment. Yeah. But he's an interesting guy. How do you even live yeah. like that? I'm going to call him. I got his number. He's got to have like an Instagram yeah. or a Twitter account. Can we, let's for real find this I think we should. After we this. should totally because he's a character. We go back to Latoya Brackett and Katara discussing more and more about the transracialness and Rachel. And Latoya points out that it's like, we can't really, there can't truly be transracialness yet. She doesn't dismiss it as a potential possibility, but she points out it's like, we have to deal with the issue of white privilege to understand and get over that, to take that level. And Katara, she says that transracial epitomizes white privilege. And she poses a question, which I thought was a very worthy question. One of the more insightful things said in this documentary. She asks, was it easier for white people to accept Rachel as black because she looked like them? Now, as a white person, I was talking to people about how I was going to watch this movie. I was talking to other white people. And most people knew who Rachel Dolezal was, and one didn't. And I was very, very happy to explain <laughs> to this other white person who Rachel Dolezal was. I don't know what the white consensus on Rachel Dolezal is, truly. You get none of that in the documentary, which is kind of surprising. Yeah. It's pretty much everything is from the perspective of Black people. I know my white perspective looks at Rachel Dolezal I, I both go, you are a fascinating person. And then I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> Eating popcorn, no, yeah. like real slowly. I like, was actually. What is she, <laughs> she going to say? <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> shit just got real. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, I, I, the question she poses, I think yes. yes. I mean, I, I, without a doubt. And you were talking about the, the way... Um, People are perceived based on their shade of their skin color within black communities. And I would imagine with white people, Rachel, you would might assume she was biracial without ever knowing about any of this. Right. Yeah, she strikes a very good point. I mean, I know from personal experience, I'm I mean, I'm I'm a light skinned guy. Mm -hmm. I was treated completely different as a kid growing up. Yeah. I mean, not so well. Uh, I'm not gonna touch on that because that's that's a whole 
different touchy family subject. But insofar as in school, yes, I was definitely, in my opinion, treated differently as a black kid because I was fair-skinned. Differently than other black than kids other black at your school. Yeah. Boy, racism is insidious. Yeah, it is. How brave and amazing we are. That's that's that's, that's an insight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I say smart shit. <laughs> the funny thing is, here's what I think is so ironic, is that the whole idea of transracialism, if we ever get to that point, I can't remember her name, that says we're not there yet. We yeah. talk about some other things first. Latoya Brack. Yeah, well, once we get to that point, if it ever happens, it'll be irrelevant at that point. One of the things they keep bringing up in the movie is... What is race? We're all the same. Race is this construct that we've just sort of created because of the visible, the visual differences between us. And so it's like, well, if and Rachel points that out too, and in right. a lot of ways, she's not wrong, right? But she's playing into that whole yeah. thing, just on another end of the spectrum, from a weird, twisted funhouse mirror kind of perspective. Rachel has a new book coming out. Uh, I forget what it's called. It's probably on the next page of my notes. I, did I, I thought it already came. Didn't they say the documentary had sold? Just a few hundred copies. <laughs> yeah. I feel like yeah, we'll get to that. that That's one of the more depressing parts of the <laughs> movie. Was, yeah, that was, that was pretty rough. She goes on the Today Show to promote a book. And uh, the host, I don't watch the fucking Today Show. I don't know who those people Savannah are. Savannah Guthrie. All right. She used to be an avid Today Show watcher. Savannah Guthrie asks, Do you feel now that you have any regrets about some of the things you said about yourself that have now been revealed to not be true once again i'm sitting there going don't do it rachel i'm <laughs> on the floor um i'm not sure what you're referring to with that don't do it rachel <laughs> it's just wall-to-wall -wall chum out there i hope you ain't 40k <laughs> she's always got room for chum she says i don't regret the way i identify and we see some paparazzi tmz oh that dude is Douche. Not the TMZ guy, but the dude with the camera. They're following her to her to her ride. She sits in the ride, the cab, and what's she doing? Let's look through all the comments of the show I just did. This will be healthy. No one likes me. <laughs> the races are united against me. We see Franklin in bed. Rachel's trying to shake him. And Franklin says, I didn't ask for this. You did. Was he talking about the reason why he has to get up? Or was he talking about life with mom in oh, general? I, I think both. Yeah, I think Franklin is smart enough to mean two things. He's a one. really smart kid. Yeah, these are, he says some insightful shit in this documentary. She's got some sharp kids. That's why you can't, like, totally diss her motherhood, because it really seems like she raised some withered boys. And it sucks that they got to go through this bullshit. Yeah, I, I mean, I think ultimately what it came down to is, I, I don't, none of this was malicious. I don't think any of this was even an intentional really willful deception i just think that she just got caught up in some shit and liked the feeling of the first time someone i didn't thought that she was black and considering all the history behind all that didn't deny it mm -hmm. and it was just one of those things that just snowballed yeah and just it got bigger and bigger and she just rolled with it and i mean it sucks i feel really bad for her um she's crazy talented she's got great kids but uh, she's never going to be able to not be Rachel Dolezal. Or will she? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> Franklin is afraid that the documentary will backfire. And he, and he says he doesn't like some of the word choices that his mother has made in regard to defending her transracialism. 
Did I mention how insightful this kid is? <laughs> He's super <laughs> fucking smart. He says, the more I hear about it, the more it affects me. Emphasizes again how his mother's actions is affecting everything. The director asks him, what is it that you want people to know that hasn't been said? Franklin replies, more than I want people to know. Franklin's like, enough has been said. Yeah, exactly. Can I be a fucking normal boy in Spokane? Franklin is referencing, this is one of those, whoa, parts of the movie. Because Franklin is kind of, he's really trying to parse through it. He's trying to find that realness. But he, like every boy, he loves his mother, you know. Very hard for his poor, his poor boy. He says that his mother is fully capable of putting herself through intense levels of mental stress. And it seems like he's referencing kind of the hate crime, the the hate mail and the, the harassing things that she gets that Rachel has said has come to the house. And he has said that I have seen stuff like this and I, and I know in my heart it wasn't my mother. But he basically says that I'm not saying she did. And not verbatim is our catchphrase here at Documenteers. <laughs> not verbatim. But he essentially is like, I'm not saying she did this, but I can see great potential in her doing yeah. this. I forgot he said that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's like a, when you're watching a documentary and the person you want to listen to the most in this movie is Franklin. You know, what he's got to say just felt like I was on the edge of my seat. Like, that's like documentary chocolate cake right there. It's like, <laughs> Latoya is thinking back to the times when Rachel joined the NAACP. She was thinking about all these times that she would do this one-upmanship to people around her, talking about her struggle, her struggle, her struggle. Latoya looks back on that, and Latoya is speaking a lot in hindsight here, coming from a place of feeling really personally burned because she knew Rachel personally. But she's thinking back to all the times where it was it always seemed to be about Rachel. And the fact that she's been caught in this lie clarifies that a lot of Rachel to Latoya might, is a lot of bullshit. Some of that could be, yes, now that I'm looking at this from outside, I can see all these different things. But then also, how much of that is just total just resentment? Just nothing but feeling burned. Because we all do it. Everyone, yes. it's some you know, after the fact because of something that you've been involved in and how something affected you, it's going to affect the way that you look at the person who may have potentially caused all the shit that you're having to deal with. There is a lot of resentment there. I, and I'm not saying that to defend no. Rachel her, by any means. Her resentment is justified because Rachel was her friend and Rachel lied to her. Right. And she never, I think she, I think she made a comment about how she never made any specific references when talking about her struggle. It was just her struggle. Right. But not any, what specifically were you struggling through? Yeah. It's just the struggle, which is a very generic black term, I think, mm -hmm. to use, a la the struggle is real, which is another thing that's been co-opted by white people. I missed my college class by 30 minutes. The struggle is real. <laughs> Dottie didn't give me the check on time. The struggle is real. You know so much about struggle. <laughs> Rachel is asked why she's on social media all the time. And Rachel says, social media is all I can control. And I say, no, you can't. A ridiculous statement. You can control what you post. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the extent of the control that I you have. I wish you could control yourself reading those comments. <laughs> Esther, poor Esther, man. Her case against her brother got dropped. Yeah. Because of Rachel. Because a lot of it hinged on Rachel. And her testimony and her credibility 
is completely affected. And if this trial is taking place in White, Montana, there's no way they're going to go along with Rachel Dolezal's credibility. The case is dropped. And Esther acknowledges that it is because of Rachel that a lot of this just kind of comes falling apart. She loves her sister, but she's pointed out, just like Rachel's son loves her, that her stubbornness in this is disaffecting the people that she cares about the most. She can't even get justice for what her brother did to her. And that's like that's a common thread is they're all struggling with their love for this person versus how the shit that this person has caused is affecting them. We've all been there. I mean, how do you deal with yeah. your family? You know, it's, it's, you know, and particularly if it's family that you don't hate, it's easier if you fucking hate them. But when yeah. it's a family member who's been, I mean, and she makes a point to say that, you know, she takes very serious her responsibility in regards to her sibling. Mm-hmm. She's the oldest and she's always seen herself as their caretaker and there to look after them. So, you know, it's got, I mean, it's got to be killing her yeah. that all of this has caused her sister to not even have a shot at getting some justice from what her brother did to her when she was a kid. I mean, it's just, the whole situation's just fucked up, man. That's what you should have called this <laughs> The whole situation's <laughs> fucked up. The Rachel Dolezal story. <laughs> Franklin says, you can't tell my mom what to do. You can't tell her how to be. You can't tell her who to be. Yeah, we figured that out. <laughs> the director asked Franklin, what do you hope for? Franklin says, this breaks my heart. <laughs> he says, oh, for all this to go away, and I just move on with my life. Then we see some collage work that Rachel does, because artistically, Rachel can do anything. Rachel, this is this is your personality right here. Yeah. Your paintings, your collage work, your art. This is the real fucking real deal Rachel Dolezal that we're getting in this movie. And it's it's so weird to me when she said that she, for her art, she's a, she creates, that's how she she expresses herself as a creative person which of course i'm initially thinking you created yourself i mean that, that just fed bled into your actual self-identity but then she says how she doesn't she's an artist and how she depends on an audience for the work to happen because she needs to have that connection and because everyone is being so negative to her she doesn't know what to do as far as hmm. her art is concerned Interesting. And I like that she acknowledged that the role that an audience must play in the life of an artist. Because sometimes you hear people be like, I just do this for myself. It's bullshit. No, it's total bullshit. You would just paint in your head if it was all about yourself. It, <laughs> there is there is it's a relationship there. It's so much easier. <laughs> yeah. Just do it in your uh, head. Man, you should see this shit, shit I just oh painted. Oh my God. Just now. Look, it's just for me, though. <laughs> Rachel's on TV again. Of course she is. She's promoting her book in full color. Which it sold in its initial week, a whopping barely over 500 copies. Oh. That kind of surprised me. She had a bad promoter. Because I, I mean, I don't think it was just that. I think that enough people were so done with her. Because you got to think of the timing on when that book came out. It was a year. We're a couple of years out now from when all that stuff went down. So that was a year from that point. She's that rare entity that comes along once in a generation where black people and white people can't stand you. So her audience, I think, I'm curious as to who those people were that bought it. A fucking lot of shit has happened since that. But that was just the first week. I mean, we don't know how many people have bought that book. That's true. Since then, I'm 
personally very curious about reading the book now. I just figured, you know, people, you know, that popcorn munching crowd, let's see what the fuck's yeah. this is all about. It's like Fire and Fury. Yeah. Glenn Beck in his heyday had way more than over 500 people who ironically viewed its shitty show <laughs> and watched them cry on TV because <laughs> we weren't going to the gold standard or we had a black president or whatever reason he would cry on television. I'm just surprised. We should. Well, did you see? Was that her publisher she was talking with, or a co-author on that conference call? That she was talking to the co-author, but it's not like his job to go out there and push the book. No, not that one. Not the video call, but the call before that, where she's got someone on speakerphone, and he's saying that this is when she says that they've taken it to thirty, the thirty top publishers, and none of them they all turned it down. Oh wow! Yeah, and he's saying that you know they're offering more. They admitted that they're offering less than what they think that this book is actually worth. But if it sells really well, it's not going to matter. But I'm not sure if that was her publisher. But yeah, if, if you're right, if he was doing a shitty job. Yeah. I mean, that's a... But if these publishers are like, nah, what can you do? I mean, if the top 30 publishers... There's not that many that are really that well-known. Right. The one that he mentioned, I had never heard of. I could probably maybe name 10... <laughs> I mean, you can publish your own book on Amazon. Yeah. So that shit is a Kindle. She should have done that. I think she should have, too. I think she would have done a better job. The director, she speaks a lot to Rachel in this moment, but she asks a very profound question. She says, black people govern blackness, right? Is it yours to define, truly, if you acknowledge it wasn't yours in the beginning? And, and that is what, to me, goes back to the whole white privilege thing. Mm -hmm. The fact that she feels privilege she feels that she it is her right to just make this statement and identify herself this way she's dr white Giltenstein's monster <laughs> is what she is <laughs> that's exactly what she is it's an extreme version of like this thing that you know you'll hear um, sometimes in, in 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 these changing times which i my heart is always with with people going through these genuine changes but sometimes i'll get a little standoffish because i feel like i'm getting the filter of other people's lives through people that aren't experiencing that thing. And I can be a stubborn fuck. And a lot of this is just my issues that I got to deal with, but it, but it kind of brings about doubt. And sometimes why people do this thing where they'll represent whiteness as if they are not a part of it. Like they're almost like some other kind of race yeah. where we're the, we're, uh, we're good white, but they don't even want to call it white. Like, the whiteness is like, oh, that's so white. That's something someone else does. The, those people driving those pickup trucks over there, those white people, not me. Let's make fun of that whiteness. But it's like, you're contributing to the whiteness. So instead of letting your white guilt separate you from that, maybe you shouldn't understand that you should represent yourself as white and be that white person that you want them to. That annoys the shit out of me, too. It's this self-deprecation. Yeah. It's just... It all comes from guilt. It all comes from yeah. them wanting to make sure that you understand that they are not, they know where you're coming from. And, you know, you, and it's okay to kind of objectively as a white person kind of laugh at something a white person does. That seems, I guess, stereotypical, but you just, you can't go to the point where it's like, that's, <laughs> it's, it's a we, not a they, you know? Yeah. That's all. That's it. Rachel says, we're about to put the bow on this show. Mm. And you pretty much already pointed this out but yeah. we're really going to tie it all together i'm never going to be that little white girl in montana i'm not going to subject myself to my parents abuse all comes back to the parents this actually might not be about race at all i don't i don't think it is it's about her fucking trauma she went through some shit and this rachel dole is all that we see it's it's chum bait for sure 
But regardless of what we think about it, this human is a product of the abuse of her past. She's associated her past whiteness with the abuse of her parents. She put all her hopes into her adopted siblings, and it burned her so bad. And I know that there is definitely a white privilege factor involved in whether she understands it or not, going around and claiming that she's a black woman. But that privilege did not prevent this abuse that occurred to her from her brother and from her parents. And it's okay to be mad at her when she says dumb shit because she's going to say a lot of dumb shit. But the whole bigger picture is that this is a woman who has experienced serious abuse. And it seems like, yes, this is beyond race. And I wish she would kind of realize that as well. It seems like she does not. And it seems like any intelligent person watching this documentary can see that she's a product of abuse not out of this inherent need to experience a culture that she did not grow up as and that the world did not treat her as. Once they started talking about her parents, because they, they're sort of sandwiched that they, they get like 30 minutes into, 30 or 40 minutes into the documentary before they even start talking about her actual upbringing. They unload a lot of other stuff. And then you get into this, and as soon as I saw that, I'm thinking, oh, well, there you go, right there. It's, it has nothing to do with... That's the story. Yeah, it's it. She was abused, and not only did she reject her whiteness because of the abuse from her parents, but also from the abuse they inflicted on her siblings. Mm-hmm. Of course, she's going to identify with them because they all went through the same thing. Now, that, that, if, if this documentary accomplishes nothing else, it puts it sheds light on that. Yeah, and she, maybe that'll shift some of the focus off of all the sort of racial stuff. Because I mean, there's it, there's some very interesting discussions being had about race in the documentary, but. I don't think that's really take away from... Yeah, it's not the full what this is about. It humanizes her. Absolutely. Even in those moments where you're like, Rachel, come on. We all know a Rachel. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to the big punchline of this movie. And it's sad that there's a punchline. Yeah. <laughs> it, it really is. This, this movie's fucked up. And there's and a punchline. you know that the, doc, the, the director intended it to be i don't know necessarily a punchline but just yeah. rachel's the joke writer on this one the d- director's just like man i don't know i'm just here holding the camera i mean but she provided she edited the it. fodder right. for, i mean we see rachel cutting her extensions and her braids off that was a pretty interesting scene yeah yeah it was very um it, it was interesting because you kind of see this thing these things that she's doing voluntarily to herself she is choosing to do this. And you kind of think maybe she's deconstructing. I kind of got this vibe. That's what I was thinking. I thought like, we were getting to a place now where... I was like, are we, are we getting to... Are we breaking through this shell? now? Is that what's happening? Yeah. Is she about to wash the, the, the bronzer off her skin or whatever the fuck she puts on her? Then she puts on a wig. And I'm like, okay. But maybe she's still deep. I really had hopes that we were. It's a it's a pretty black looking wig. <laughs> my hopes were real, maybe irrational. Space a cover of uh, David Bowie's "I Think It's Life on Mars" is playing during all this, and we see Rachel walking up to a clerk, a white clerk. Clerk, didn't you ask? White clerk says, "How much of this chum would you like?" <laughs> Would you like to eat this bucket of chum? That's not verbatim, by the way. <laughs> He's paraphrasing. Not verbatim. The clerk's like, you know there's a camera there, right? Angela points out, why does she do this on camera? <laughs> Are you going to pronounce your first name? Nkechi. Nkechi. 
and middle middle name? Amare. And last name? Diallo. All right. D-I-A-L-O. Two L's. Yeah. Rachel says that her name is Nkechi Amari Diallo. Again, taking it to the next level. <laughs> <laughs> That might be the blackest name I've ever heard of. Well, she didn't dialogue. call herself Nubiana, Wakanda, <laughs> or anything. She showed some restraint. <laughs> With the last name X. <laughs> yeah. She did have enough self-control not to throw an X in there. So we got to give Rachel some give props for that. She is no longer Rachel Dolezal. She is Nikechi Omari Diallo. And the last thing we see is Nkechi walking down the street with her beautiful baby. Into anonymity because she has now changed her name. So now she can start a new chapter in her life because no one will know who she is except for the fact that it's in the documentary. <laughs> I can't. I can't tell you enough how much I was hoping for a Rachel deconstruction. And then she's like, my name's fucking Inketchy. I'm yeah, like, Fuck! I was like, you just, like you said, she doubled, she tripled down. She dove head first into she a kiddie pool. Dead fast in her conviction. Wow. I feel, and I, I felt at that moment. She's got bigger I, balls than I do. I didn't think that I could feel any more sympathy for Franklin. <laughs> <laughs> then that happened. Like, yeah, dude, she's. He's going to deal with this shit. It could have ended on Franklin just crying. It's like, I'm so sorry. And he's just shaking his head. I would I would really love to revisit Franklin five years down the line to yeah. see where that kid is. And that was the film The Rachel Divide by Laura Brownson. Movie you can stream right now on Netflix. It's a hot, fresh one. If at least the same number of people that bought the book. <laughs> the first think, week. Oh, we'll get there. It might take like... No, I mean the documentary. Oh, <laughs> yeah, hopefully. <laughs> You're talking about listeners to the podcast. No, no. <laughs> no, it's the same number of people who bought the book then watched the documentary. Well, this documentary might help with sales that book. I mean, I'm already considering. I'm not going to buy it. I'll check it out from the library. Yeah. I don't know if that counts towards anything. I think I'll peruse used bookstores if I remember to look for it. Yeah. That's the best I can promise. Now, Kill, we don't rate things in a star rating system. We feel like stars are like, they're like the Rachel Dolezal thinking they're planets. <laughs> that was so dumb. That yeah, was. That was so pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> the dumbest fucking thing I've ever said <laughs> on this podcast. I was you said some dumb shit. I don't know. <laughs> but no, we rate things on the Herzog scale, the Werner Herzog scale, the official demigod of documentaries. You can worship him or you can not worship him, but he's there. I'm going to give this one through five Herzogs. You're going to give this one through five Herzogs. And then we will combine those for best out of ten Herzogs. Akil is the freshest documenteer. I'm going to let you go first. Tell, tell me what you thought about this movie. I mean, the fact that I watched this documentary three times in a week span, just to try to get a grasp of what the fuck was going on. I mean, there was just so much to unpack. I'm just really intrigued by her. I wish that, I mean, honestly, if there were, and I'm not a reality show person, but if there was one, I would sign me the fuck up. I would totally watch it. Celebrity Big Every Brother, week. man. Oh, my God. Oh, I've never once watched that show, but if they get her on there, mm, I'd watch the fuck out of Rosa in the same. Ooh. <laughs> 
uh, producers better be listening. <laughs> Throw I, in Ketchy some money. She needs some money. I mean, that much we do know. That was another sad thing about the documentary. I just, I mean, the insight into her life, particularly her family, everybody around her, just seeing the the ripples, how she just, I mean, everything she touched just sort of basically turned to shit. I mean, it, it's a sad story, but it's really, really insightful. Gave me a lot to think about. Uh, I gotta go with my gut. I'm gonna say three and a half. Okay, three a res- and a half. A respectable score. I don't want this is my first one, so I don't I want I don't want to overshoot and go for the moon. But I think three and a half is respectful. There, I had so much pity, just like you did, for all the people around her, and knowing the context of her history, I had more pity for her too. But she's at a point in her life, she's like my age, where it's like, Rachel, you got to let go of that ghost. She just hasn't let go of that ghost. But I got to admit, I'm not too big for a shit show. <laughs> and and there was a part of me that really loved watching this shit show. My thoughts were, God, I wish Franklin wasn't involved in this shit show. <laughs> Maybe Franklin should go live with Esther or something. That's not a bad idea. Yeah. Well, Esther's well, kind of moving, too. but she's living with, is she not living with Rachel? I don't know. I didn't catch that. I know Esther showed up with her boyfriend at, near the beginning, yeah. but I don't know. It's going to have to take a village with Franklin. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to be all right. Yeah. I think he's going to be all right. I think those right. kids are going to be all right. I think he's got what it takes to rise above. And that's, I mean, when it's all said and done, like you said, she's a good mom. I mean, that that's a testament to her. Granted, she's a good mom, but she's also doing some shit that's going to scar her children for the rest of her life. That's what being a parent's about. The hardest thing, and we see a little bit of example of this. We didn't really touch base too much on it. We want to leave something for y'all to watch. But when they visit the college and there's some new shit about her visiting college for her son, Isaiah, and how there's comments about how throw his application in the trash. It's like, this ain't Isaiah's fault, man. This ain't Franklin's fault. It it really makes me sad that these kids are going to get a little bit of shit when they don't have control over this. And I was a little frustrated at Rachel. It's like, I know it wouldn't be what you wanted or how you claim you feel. What you need is some therapy. I hope you're getting some therapy. But is it really worth it to see how see how it's affecting your kids? I mean, par- parents make sacrifices for their kids all the time. In the grand scheme of things, I feel like this is not too much to ask. Yes. To just shut this shit down. And when they're all up out of college in their careers, then you can then go for it. Right. Go, go 100%. That's our advice to Rachel, who we know is, oh, I'm sorry, in Ketchy, who we know is listening right now. Mama name of Rachel. I won't call her Rachel. The director should have went up to Latoya Brackett and been like, you know, she's calling herself Nikechi now. What do you got to say about that? <laughs> hey, guitar, you know she's Nikechi now? <laughs> Your thoughts? <laughs> but a kill, I love a shit show. And, but my heart did go out to a lot of people in this movie. And I'm sorry Rachel had to go through what she did, but there's a bigger picture. And girl, you just didn't live that life. You projected that life. And I wish you the best. Though ultimately, regardless of what Rachel Dolezal calls herself, I'm not going to be like, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. I'm going to watch the shit show. And I'm going to eat that popcorn real slow. <laughs> and watch her eat floor show. Everybody. Like, uh, because maybe I'm a little evil inside. <laughs> It's like a, like there's a fight. You don't want anyone to fight. We ain't going to stop and watch. Oh, yeah. You're like, I hope no one gets killed. I'm going to stop and watch this fight. I'd say this movie's pretty good. I did feel like I got a lot out of this movie. 
I think I could watch it again. I think after some time, I want to revisit it. I'm going to give it four. I'm going to give it a solid four see that. out of five Hurt songs. So you take your 3.5. I take my four. Math it up. Give me one second. That is a total of seven and a half Hurt songs. That's some good Hurt songs. I think that's respectful. Seven and a half out of ten. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, that sounds totally right for it's this. Probably movie. better than Rotten Tomatoes gave it. Yeah. Everything is ninety-eight percent now. Or like twelve. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's the movie, The Rachel Divide. So, what a clever title, by the way. I think I might have <laughs> taken a Herzog down just for the title. <laughs> Maybe this would have been five if it wasn't for that fucking title. <laughs> oh, and before we close out, another one that we I know you talked a lot about how all the shit show is affecting people around her. Probably one of the biggest casualties is all of the positive things that she actually did for the black community have pretty much just been forgotten. Oh, I no. mean, they're just, no one even talks about it. She did do some good things. Absolutely. Regardless of what the mo- motivation was, I mean, she did some good stuff for the community. So it doesn't matter anymore. Wow. That shit show runs deep, man. Y'all watch this movie if you have not seen it. <laughs> yeah, seriously. It's, it's worth... It's, it, there's not really a dull moment. And that's the film The Rachel Divide by Laura Brownson. Franklin, take care of yourself, buddy. Please. We're thinking about you. We'll Franklin, fu- I hope that you're able to find peace. I don't mean in like a suicide way. I hope you don't go that route. We hope you'll be fine, and at the same time, we know you'll be fine. Yeah. Hang in there. Hold your head up. You're a good kid, Franklin. Ain't your, It's not your fault, Franklin. No matter fucking what, it ain't your goddamn fault. And you're cool, too, Isaiah. We haven't really talked a lot yeah. about Isaiah. You seem a little more grown, like, already yeah. on your way. Yeah, and you know he says that when they ask him? He says, I wish that this had happened when I was older. <laughs> Kid's fucking smart as hell. <laughs> yeah, <man. laughs> yeah, mom. Uh, bad fucking idea. <laughs> All right, folks. Keep on docking. We haven't totally advanced whiteness to its peak. There's still a journey we're, here. Here's the hoping. <laughs> we're st- <laughs> we're not done. We can be smarter, more understanding, and more accepting. I love if, if someone just took and edited just that one. Oh, shit. <laughs> whiteness we, isn't done. We, we, we haven't hit our peak yet. We have, there's so much more we have to do. <laughs> I'm probably gonna edit the fuck out of that. And I'm like trying, and I know I, I know I mentioned before the recording, like we don't need to acknowledge everything. But when I was saying that, I was like, Akil, please say something. Please say something, Akil. We have not yet begun. Like I'm eating the chum. Oh shit. <laughs> Take it out of context. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> I know where your heart is, man. Thank you. <laughs> I'm one of the good ones. <laughs> <laughs>